I think we should start it each time with like, is it on? Dude, it's already on, bro. It is? Yeah. Okay. Welcome to episode number two of The Dose. The Dose. I'm Ben. He's Brando. I'm Ben. That's Brando. What's up, guys? We're back. Um, it's not a week later. It's two two days later. That was, no, it's one day. That was last night. That was last night. Wow. All, all right, right, we got some good feedback, guys. We got some. We got a solid amount of plays. First of all, Jenner is successfully, for all the people that want to know, Jenner is in Montana. Yeah, he made it. He made it. Stopped in Idaho on the way. Yeah, he did. He, I think he, he made one stop uh, for 17 hours of driving. Yeah, man. Yeah, he did. He made it, which is good. So we got the Snapchat. He's there. And uh, we're back with some more business news. Hopefully you guys liked the uh, the last podcast here. It seems like you did. That's why we're doing this uh, podcast number two. Is this going to come out next week? Is it going to be a weekly thing? Let's just release it tonight, man. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, think guys, Matt, I think Matt Carley's waiting for it. He is. Yeah, we got some... Th- shout out to Matt Carley. Thanks for the feedback. He already texted us a few things that he wants to hear about. We're going to touch on him a little bit in this show. Um, got yeah, some great you, feedback from Wesley, my cousins. Yeah, if you guys are listening, <laughs> Jenner, shoot, Jenner shoot, shoot us some feedback and tell us what you guys would uh, like to hear us talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I mean, um, you know, kind of uh, the the topic of today, what we're going to be talking about is uh, basically we have three things that we're going to talk about each show. There are three touching points. I think Ben is an expert on uh, the first one here. We'll give our opinions on uh, each little uh, category as we go through it. But we want to just give you our opinions and and see what you think about it. And we actually want to hear from you um, if it's something that sparks your interest. So what's the first thing we're talking about today? Yeah, so, you know, we hope to teach you guys. We hope to share our opinions. Uh, Just so you guys know, at the end of this, there will be some fun facts, which are actually pretty funny. I haven't seen yours yet. Yeah, so we're going to be asking each other questions. Uh, just uh, one question each and uh, they're pretty bizarre questions and uh, it's just a good fact to kind of know they're pretty funny so uh, we're going to touch on those at the end Um, but the first topic today is uh, something that doesn't sound all that fun Um, a lot of people you know our age in college aren't too familiar with it um, but it's actually quite important and that's uh, that's credit that's the part about this show where we're going to take things that you didn't learn in college and hopefully shed a little bit more light into it, you know, than, you know, than a lot of kids our age know. So if you're listening to this, you're going to learn something right now. Yeah. What is that? That's uh, basically the importance of credit Uh and also um, Experian, which this is not a plug. (laughs) It's not, I promise. I work there. Um, I work at Experian. They're one of the three credit bureaus. So they basically have all of your data, um, give you your credit score um, and whatnot. So if you've seen a credit score, it's most likely came from Experian or one of the three. But the reason we're talking about it today is because they just came out with a new tool that allows you to instantly boost your credit score, which is something that's never been done before. Wow. Okay. So I, I'm going to be honest. I use Credit Karma right now. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit. I'm crying. It's a little controversial in the household here with all our uh, our roommates and Ben. But basically, uh, Credit Karma and Experian and all of these other credit bureaus allow you to dude, check you're your wrong, credit you're score. Wrong, dude. Credit Karma is not a credit bureau. Uh, well, okay, I was wrong. They are a, they are a marketing genius. Yeah. Which has gotten a lot of kids and students like yourself yeah. to use their product. What you don't know is Experian gives them their data from the business side. Got it. My department competes with them on the consumer side. Does that everything, make sense? Yeah. Everything is run by data. You can't yes. do anything without credit. 
and you can't do anything without data either. So what are some of the things that credit allows you to do? Yeah, so it's very important. If you ever wanna buy a house in your life, buy a car, start a business. Yeah, we experienced that really early. Yeah, we started building business credit, you know, right off the bat, just because we knew the importance of it. Um, And even getting a job, uh, some employers are starting to uh, look at your credit report and score to determine if you're, you know, gonna be a good employee, which is crazy. I think the first question in any interview should be, do you even know what credit is? Yes. (laughs) Before they look into someone's credit (laughs) score, they should ask them if they even know what it is. Because a lot of kids our age, uh, haven't started establishing credit yet. They don't know what their credit score is. Um, and they're probably checking their credit score, uh, giving themselves a hard inquiry because they're, you know, asking the guy at at and <laughs> to give them an inquiry. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually going to be a super informative or if it not already is a section. Um, so, you know, I'm going to give you guys a little definition here and that's a thin file. Um, okay. a lot of people our age, even adults have thin files. That means you do not have more than five open credit accounts. So that could be credit cards, loans, you know, your mortgage, your car. Um, And basically what that means is if you're trying to uh, get money or get a credit card, um, you don't appear, you know, as a necessarily credit worthy borrower. It's a thin, it's a thin line because you haven't necessarily had uh, the experience with credit yet. You haven't done anything to impact your credit, right? You know, there's no trust in the relationship. Credit is all about trust with these bureaus, right? You know, there's an aspect of this where in order to borrow money, the banks have to trust you and the people that are going to give you the money have to trust you. So you have to have a long credit history and someone uh, you know, with this that you're talking about is is not trusted in, in that world. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, schools are lacking the educational, you know, financial literacy aspect. Um, I think they should start it in high school. I think if you start it any earlier, it's a little too young. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely something um, these companies are taking into consideration or, you know, we may end up in another financial crisis. So just to put it into perspective, how many Americans do not have any credit history at all? Uh, it's estimated 26 million. 26 million in the United States. Yeah, so none at Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion, which you guys should know are the three credit bureaus. And having a thin file is five or less accounts where in a way they can't trust you, um, you know, to the extent that you wanna be trusted in order to buy, you know, let's say a house, to get a mortgage for a house. Yeah. And exactly, if you guys are listening to this, um, I would honestly recommend to go get a credit card, maybe get two credit cards for your, your rewards. I checked today, I've earned $200 in cashback rewards yeah. um, from my credit card in the last four months. Um, I got mad at Brando the other day for swiping his debit card when he was buying some <laughs> food. And he's like, what the fuck? I'm like, dude, use credit because they pay you. They literally pay you to swipe your card. Key takeaway is don't spend more than you have and set up automatic payments. Yes, pay off your credit card each month. That's how you're gonna establish a credit score. What does a good credit score look like? I would say, you know, good's probably around like 700 to 750. The top you can get is 850. 850. so, you know, it, it's important. If uh, you're in that range, what are you looking at? I you're, just got a Credit Karma email, bro. What does it say? Woo, your score's awesome. Hell yeah. That's you, why we're talking about this right now. Literally just popped up <laughs> on my screen. That's awesome. But so, so, so what experience doing in the market, and this is where it gets really cool because no one else has done this. I've known about this for a little bit, but just that's because I'm on the inside, but they just came out with it publicly. Is they're able to instantly add utility, cell phone, and payments that you're making already to your credit report 
um, which can only increase your score through the Experian platform. So this is brand new. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. So this is a product now. You've known about it for a little bit. You just told me this literally before we got on the podcast right here because uh, you were under NDA. Is that right? I was under non-disclosure. So there's no... NDA is a non-disclosure oh. agreement. Definition. <laughs> we're doing definitions for you guys. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't know what an NDA is, basically, if you are involved in, let's just, you know, from a, from a super... Um, from a cool perspective, like a business perspective, uh, we have a lot of investors that come through our office and they're potentially looking at investing in Altitude or any of the other businesses we're involved in. And um, in order for us to pitch you know, our product or service or our IP, which is intellectual property, you know, you're going to want some element of trust between yourself, your business and the investor. And that's kind of where this comes from with um, you know, this NDA. So they sign an NDA, they can't legally uh, tell anyone else, you know, it, you know, through the limits of the NDA for a certain time period or until you go public or until you raise the money um, that you're, you're going out there looking to raise. So, you know, NDAs are great intellectual property. That's what you want to keep safe. That's really the backbone of your business. And then credit is a huge part of this because in order to have successful businesses, you have to understand credit and how credit works in order to get, you know, a lot of the things that we were just talking about. So, yeah. And just to piggyback off that real quick, you know, we said we'd be a little controversial. The other side to an NDA is some people look at them as, oh, you don't trust me. I don't even want to deal with you. Um, we've heard yeah. that from a couple people. We have. We've also heard NDAs don't hold up in court. Yeah, we have heard that. So that we're, pretty, probably the we're pretty indifferent about them. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's super serious, we'll toss one in there. But to be honest, we don't we don't necessarily use them too often. No, we don't. I mean, a lot of our intellectual property is stuff that we've built within our business that we really are, you know, in emerging technology, it's first to market. So people, people know the shit that's out there. But if you're going to build a business... Um, you know, it's really just whoever can can build it first. And that's how we look at a lot of our businesses. It's like, dude, you can go out and you can take our idea, but you know, there's a high it's chance execution. you're not going to execute it on the level that we're going to execute at. So um, pretty crazy. Let's shift gears a little bit here and talk about, you know, so we're on, we're on this um, emerging technology trend here. And let's talk a little bit about SoftBank. So SoftBank, I don't know if you saw this, uh, just filed for $21 billion IPO. Did you hear about this? Yeah, it's their, uh, the second highest IPO ever. Um, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, like, let's take a step back. Also, an IPO, if you guys don't know, it's an initial public offering. Definition. There we go. So it's basically the process of offering shares in like a private company. Like, let's say, you know, for Altitude University right now, you know, you can't legally buy shares in our company. But if you're looking for, um, you know, to invest in a company like Altitude University, um, it's going to have to be a publicly traded stock on the New York Stock Exchange um, or any other exchange. But basically, uh, it's it's the ability for you to buy shares in a public, publicly traded company. A lot of private companies aren't public yet. So when they, you know, file for their IPO, uh, they have a specific value. They have a valuation of what they're going to IPO at. And then that's going to give an understanding of how many shares are available and what the stock price uh, is going to be and whether you want to buy or sell at a certain certain point, whether you think it's going to go up or down. Exactly. So SoftBank, off of that, as we said, filed for a 21 billion IPO. And that is... Billion with a B. That's a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a lot. Dude. Yeah. And 
So that's the second largest behind Alibaba Group, yeah. which is also a very interesting company. It really is. It really is. So um, the largest IPO, uh, I don't know if you mentioned, was $25 billion. I think I just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just... Thanks, I was, dude. Thank it you. Was, it was with a B, so, you know, I was a little... We got bit, confused with the Bs. Yeah, but basically, um, Alibaba has two kind of elements to it. AliExpress, Alibaba, which um, is basically like the Amazon of China. Yeah. And, you know, there's wholesale and then there's like Amazon uh, retail, you know, e-commerce, which you can purchase individual items online um, through their marketplace. But the founder, he's a really, this guy is one of the smartest guys. I mean, I just watched an interview on him a couple weeks ago. Um, his name is, do you want to try this? His name is, he's so smart. I <laughs> he, I can't even pronounce his name. Masayoshi Sun. M. Sun. M. Sun. So he's best known for raising... $45 billion in 45 minutes. Dude. Have you done that yet? No, nah, this podcast might be worth $45 billion <laughs> in 45 minutes we should if we say, keep it up. We should say right now, uh, if you want to advertise on our podcast, make sure to hit us up while ad spots are still cheap. Yes. Was that too soon? I think no, it's a little... No. All right. No. I'm with it. They got to know. People got to know. All right. Sounds good. So... Um, Sun is already the biggest investor in the tech space. We hear his name come up a lot. Um, he's really active in Silicon Valley. And last year he formed this vision fund, which is a hundred billion dollar fund to invest in like these fast growing, um, emerging tech companies. A couple of them are, let's take a step back. A hundred billion dollar fund. People thought he was crazy. Okay. Well, the craziest part is, is that he plans on raising new capital, 100 billion every two to three years for this new emerging technology. That's heavy. Now, emerging technology is like AI, artificial intelligence, um, augmented reality, AR and VR, virtual reality, machine learning, machine learning, IoT, Internet of Things, e commerce, 5G, drone technology. We've gone forever. There's a lot computer vision, um, you know, deep learning, yeah. neural network. There's a lot to you know, this new tech space. And that's why, you know, companies, you know, they come in and they go and emerging trends like blockchain, you know, no one really knows too much about them, but they're these buzzwords, right? And it gets people's attention. Yeah. And that's what, uh, you know, Sun is investing in. It's investing in, you know, things like autonomous vehicles. So their top, what are their top investments right now? Uh, they've put some money into WAG, Uber, uh, WeWork and DoorDash. So just within know, pretty, pretty the last year, in the, la- in the last year, yeah, they've invested in these companies that have ultimately taken off. Some of the biggest companies, you know, that by name that we know. Yeah, how much do they invest in WAG to start off with? Three hundred million dollars at the end of January earlier this year. Pretty crazy. So the dog walking company. It's like Uber for dog walking. It is. It is. You know, we have we actually have a roommate, Max. Shout out to Max. I sent him the podcast last night. I don't know if you listened to you it. Probably didn't. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe uh, you listen yeah. to this one because uh, we yeah. shout him out. Yeah, no, he um, over the summer he was he was pretty involved in WAG because he literally is super active um, into fitness. He's into um, biohacking. He's into health. He's into all this stuff, and he was walking a lot. And WAG is just a cool outlet to make. He literally was making money while he was walking. Yeah, he want he was going on walks, so he signed up for WAG to yeah. make money while he walked. Pretty cool. We live in a cool area. There's you know it's pretty flat over here. There's a lot of 
nice parks. So, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to make money while you're walking. That was the value proposition to other people for Uber. It was like, make money while you drive. Yeah, I think what they noticed is people started neglecting their dogs because they weren't getting paid to walk them, dude. Pretty crazy. <laughs> Pretty crazy kidding. to think about. But basically, so they made a $300 million investment into WAG. But if, if you think about it, Uber was the next one that they invested into um, in mid-January, actually. So if Uber's their top investment right now, if they were to invest a little bit more into WAG, which we'll talk about in a second, they're looking at right now, WAG will be their number one investment um, basically in, you know, in this specific space. So uh, SoftBank, again, we're talking about SoftBank. We're talking about um, Masayoshi Sun and his vision, his vision fund, which is a $100 billion fund to invest in fast-growing um, emerging technology uh, companies. And then we're talking about things like WAG. You know, we're th- talking about things like Uber, which, you know, I don't, you know, so I feel like also in this podcast, we shouldn't talk too much about stuff that, you know, are like everyday names like Uber, you know, because people know a little bit about it. I want to bring stuff to the table that really is like going to blow your face off. Yeah. Well, they also invested in WeWork, which a lot of people do know about, but a lot of people, you know, they're not too familiar with it unless if you're kind of, you know, in the building a business phase of your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they also invested in WeWork, which is basically um, office space, yeah, uh, collaborative office space that you can rent out. Um, and they're probably the top player in that industry. They're all over the nation. Yeah. Um, from what I'm aware of. They are. There's a lot of so creative office facilities are um their creative workspaces. They're pretty they're pretty uh they're pretty hip nowadays, would you say? Yeah, I mean it's easy for a business to go find places to work and they can yeah. lease them out, I think monthly. Yeah. Um and then you got like this brand new innovative collaborative office space um that gives you and your team, I think, you know, you can scale your team pretty large in these places. Yeah. Um, you know, a great place to work. Yeah. So we use at Altitude University, we have a virtual office, which is um, something if you guys are interested in it right now and starting your own business, it's, it might, might be a good thing to look into. Virtual offices are just basically when you um, file for your LLC and, you know, send in all your stuff to the secretary uh, of state, it's going to, it's going to ask for an address or your business um, address, right? So we use a virtual office, which means that we have a business address. Um, it's a it's a creative workspace facility, so we can have meetings there whenever we want. But we don't have to go in to that specific office every day. We don't have a 12 month lease for our office space. There's a lot of benefits to virtual offices. Yeah, definitely. They, you can get secretaries, you can get your mail delivered there. Um, it's just a good option. Um, you know, if you listeners are wanting to start a business and don't want to pay the rent of a full office and maybe want to work out of the comfort of your home, but need a business address. So yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think the next thing that they invested into was DoorDash. DoorDash is a crazy one just because of a couple different elements. I think that um, you know, recently SoftBank <clears throat> invested in uh, an autonomous uh, vehicle company, and That's then huge they right now too. Yeah, and then they also invested in DoorDash, and you know, it's it's kind of crazy if you think about uh, some of these VC firms and and these different funds because you want to try to predict what they're going to do in the future. When they acquire a company or and they invest heavily into a company, they're taking huge market share in these companies and they might, you know, blend two companies together, right? We talked about on the podcast last night Amazon acquiring Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. That's a power play, 
right? Because you're going to see a smart refrigerator in your house utilizing Amazon connected to the, the utilizing Whole Foods because it's connected to the network and it knows when you run out of eggs, it orders that prime from Amazon. And you know, it's a whole IOT, uh, like uh, the whole house is working together. So with DoorDash, when they, you know, this is just my opinion, when they purchase an autonomous car company, what I think it's going to do is they're going to try to transition into taking the driver out of the equation. Yeah. So DoorDash, you know, they're delivering food. What interest does someone like SoftBank and emerging technology have in food, right? So that's, you know, that's my opinion. If, uh, if that happens, what's the date today? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so let's, uh, let's work our way into e-commerce. What are your thoughts on e-commerce right now? E-commerce is booming. That was actually probably a great transition. Um, it's the space is, you know, it's expanding really quickly because you can launch an online store right now in about five to ten minutes from your iphone what's an app for that so someone can uh, go look into it shopify yeah well that's yeah that's not from your smartphone that's from your computer so you threw me off a little bit there but um but it's it's so simple to start an online store and you know there's these millionaire kids who have done something as simple as creating a store and they learn digital marketing and now yeah. they're multimillionaires. So there's an element of digital marketing and then there's an element of drop shipping. Drop right? shipping. So talk a little bit about drop shipping. Yeah, so drop shipping is basically a model of e-commerce of owning a store where you have to hold where you don't have to hold any inventory on hand. So it makes it really easy to run your business cuz all you focus on is getting sales. Um, basically a third party or oftentimes right now it's China uh, has and ships your product with your label on it and you do none of the work. So it's pretty crazy. It's been around for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's, it's basically being a middleman to people purchasing products, right? So if you're the middleman of, uh, you know, a product like, um, let's say, you know, just like iPhone cases, right? I was just looking at your iPhone case. So, you know, basically if, if you have an iPhone case, you can start to add different products that you find on Alibaba to your online store. You create a website, you design it really nicely. You come up with a cool value proposition about selling the lifestyle of luxury phone cases. And then you add a bunch of really cool phone cases to your website. So you go on Alibaba, you look at the price of a phone case. Let's say it's $4.99 to manufacture in China, right? You can list that product on your website for $19. What do people pay for phone cases? People pay so much money for phone cases. Yeah, I mean, for sales, 19 sounds about right. But, you know, luxury phone cases upwards of 80 to 100. Yeah, exactly. So you spike the price up and then, you know, you try to create that lifestyle where the value is worth it. You list it on your store. You start to run ads to your page and target a demographic of people that, you know, are interested in, you know, they just bought a new iPhone. They need a new phone case, right? So that's kind of this aspect where you create that lifestyle. And then when someone purchases the phone case from your store, you don't have to do anything. You don't even hold the phone case. You never touch the phone case, right? Never. So where does it ship from? It ships from China. Takes usually about 20 days to a month. Um... I mean, that's basically, you know, we just explained everything about drop shipping. So yeah. I think we should talk to him a little bit about, about our opinions of it. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, we've been involved with it. We've had a couple of stores and there's a lot of kids doing it. And there's a lot of advertisements trying to get you to get into it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's getting really saturated. 
Maybe we're just the ones. We've clicked on so many. Yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> we got retargeted so yeah. hard. You know, it's like all those kids. It's like, you know, uh, I I just made $90,000 this month. If you want to learn how to do the same thing, swipe up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is the right word, but I kind of feel like if if you set up a drop shipping store, you know, at this stage, it's a little bit of a cringy area for if you become that millionaire who now thinks they're the shit buying lambos and stuff it's like are you really that smart or did you figure out you know a process that works for you and are you going to be able to sustain the amount of money you make are you too much of a dumbass and you're going to go blow it on ferraris yeah yeah so there's an element to it where you know it's kind of on the sketchy side if you understand drop shipping if you understand e-commerce you can do really well you're going to do very very well and shout out to Matt Carley for this question also. He just texted it to me. You know, he was he was wondering a little bit about, you know, my thoughts on, you know, where dropshipping comes into uh, the equation of building viable, sustainable businesses that survive economic turns, which a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the most important aspects of a business is the customer, right? Yeah. You heard a story the other day about how the store was interacting with their customers. What were your thoughts on that? That was it. I like that. I like how... So that was the that was making these interactive stores with new technology that would walk someone through the buying process and basically provide valuable information to help them make a better decision, right? So I, I think it's cool. I think it's a great aspect to it. If if you're if you have a mattress if you have a mattress uh, store and you you know you're paying the lease on that huge huge uh, warehouse, I think that you gotta you know you gotta make it. Uh, an experience for people you know throw a coffee shop in there right like your mattress shop and might as well go grab an espresso <laughs> but uh yeah so that you know that's what what do you think is going to happen to jobs in this when you know we're at the point where um we're starting to shift into these things like that's a great transition because you know we're talking about interactive stores right the next step of that is to robotics what are your thoughts you know, on robotics here and, and what's happening in the industry. Yeah, well, we just came across a news article. Uh, this company called Right Hand Robotics. They just raised a $23 million round to basically build robotics with better hand-eye coordination. Wow. Something I never thought I'd hear before. Yeah, no doubt. What's uh, the goal of building these robots? Basically efficiency. Yeah. Uh, you know, companies want to decrease their costs. Uh, labor is a huge cost. So if they can build robots, one, robots can oftentimes do the work that humans can do better, mm-hmm. faster, yeah. more efficiently. And, you know, I think this could be a great talking point of discussion because it's a little bit scary. It is scary to think about. You know, I, I, I was thinking about it and, you know, when we're, we're in the drone technology space, you know, like we've mentioned a couple of times, but um, basically, you know, we're in meetings and we're talking to construction and development firms that are going, look, you know, I have, a, I have 100, 200 project managers on site, civil engineers, you know, all these people that I have to look out for and be responsible for. And you're telling me that I can replace what they're doing with a drone. And we say, yes. Yes. But... There's an element to this where it's like, let's take a step back and have it not be as scary. Okay, so these people are in really dangerous situations when they're on site at construction sites, right? You know, you're looking at a 200, $300 million development. Let's say it's a creative office space. Let's say it's a WeWork facility. We're building out this WeWork facility, right? And people have to climb up the side of stockpiles or, you know, they have to put themselves in dangerous situations as project managers to kind of, you know, get a grip on, on what's going on on site at any given time, right? So imagine if the drone doesn't replace them, 
Imagine if the drone replaces the dangerous work that these individuals are doing in a dangerous you know, situation, right? Liability insurance for these guys on site is really high and safety is their number one concern. So if you can replace that with a drone, that's what we're looking to do. We're not looking to replace people. Smart people will always last. They're sustainable. Yeah. So if they can learn how to manage a drone that's going to do a job more efficiently, that's what we start to integrate into their workflow. Yeah, that ties perfectly into my conversation. Um, I don't think I told you this, but I uh, interviewed Marshall Toplansky. Shout out Marshall. Yeah. Probably the best professor at Chapman. Sorry if any of you other professors are listening to this. They're probably not. They're not. <laughs> Maybe I'll show it to him. Not after this. Next episode. But um, I interview him and I asked him, does artificial intelligence scare you? To give you some background on, Mar- on Marshall, he's a marketing expert. Um, he worked at IBM. He's worked in the marketing space for like 20 or 30 years, I believe. And he has a lot of good insight into the space. So I was curious if artificial intelligence scares him. He said no to the reason and to the point that Brandon exactly just stated is these robots are created by humans and it's going to take a human to manage them to analyze what they're collecting. The robots aren't going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to do a task, but it's still going to require smart people to analyze the data. So, you know, that was a little bit comforting and I walked out of there a little uh, a little happier. Yeah. Robots work off of data points, right? They can't make decisions, you know, cognitively like us. So, you know, when they say like robots are going to take over the world, First of all, you've got Alexa in your house, you've got a Roomba cleaning your carpet, and you've got, you know, something else, and you're telling me that you're scared of robots. People don't understand these things, you know what I mean? So it's like this slow transition into starting to basically replace uh, dangerous aspects of, you know, professions with a robot. And these robots are doing what for someone like, you know, Amazon? Just put me on blast, bro. The robot... I mean, if I were, so robots, Amazon, yeah, they're packaging, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, pick and pack robots. Pick and pack and robots. Yeah, exactly. um, Eventually, they're going to be delivering your packages. Yeah. Um, There's a lot to autonomous cars, robots, everything. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think about where this stuff is going. So $23 million invested into right-hand robotics, right? Hand-eye coordination. Who would have thought? I'm going to start a robot company, and uh, we're just going to get into hand-eye coordination. But... <laughs> Anyway, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so we talked about a couple different topics. Obviously, um, if you have any input into the show, we'd love to hear it. Shout out. We got two. Let's put two people on blast right now. I put you on blast. Sorry. But basically, the first one is Matt Carley. Shout out to Matt Carley. He sent us an awesome question, uh, gave us some feedback on the podcast from last night. Um, And then, you know, shout out to Wes. He gave some great, great advice too. Um, you know, we're going to have a daily dose of uh, you know feedback coming in here, we'll take it into consideration. Yeah, we're live on uh, Apple Podcasts now, or uh, we are I- yeah, iTunes, iTunes. iTunes Podcast. Yeah, so leave a review on there. Yeah, we'd love to have you leave a review. I mean, it only uh, it only helps us make these shows a little bit better. Yeah, so let's end it. Uh, let's give you guys a fun fact of the day. I'm gonna ask Brando a question, and then I'm gonna tell him the answer, and it's gonna be pretty entertaining. I think he's got one for me too. Yeah, but but let's get into it. How many people do you think have died by taking selfies? Oh, man. In Isla Vista? Did they fall? <laughs> <laughs> did they fall off a cliff? In 2017, in um, one year. Taking selfies. What, like 28? 
That was close. That was a good guess. 35. 35, actually? Six deaths by shark. Shark? Sharks. And 35 oh. deaths by selfie. So, like, how do you think this happens? I don't know. Like, like, like I said, like, I mean, like, in Isla Vista, I could see it. Because Kenneth's always talking about those cliffs. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I can't see any other way. They should make like a selfie stick parachute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it saves the phone, yeah, but you're not save the human. Thirty-five lives, dude. Damn, Damn that's pretty crazy. All yeah. right, so my uh, fun fact has nothing to do with business, unless you're an entrepreneur. Banging your head against the wall burns how many calories for how long? Once an hour. All right, hold on. Um, an hour of banging your head against the wall. 100? Dude, that was super close. 150. All right. All right, so you do So it. if you're an entrepreneur and you don't get, you know, you're working 24-7, you don't get to make it to the gym, bang your head against the wall for an hour. Burn yeah. some calories. Or go to Equinox. Go to Equinox <laughs> and bang your head against the wall. <laughs> all, those, all those people would think you're, uh, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Start a class, start a website. Yeah. Build a Peloton. Sell helmets. <laughs> <laughs> Solving problems out here. All right, guys. So that was episode two of The Dose. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, it's been Ben and Brando. We'll see you for episode three here. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. See you guys.